Coming up on Golf Today, Brooke Henderson salts away a second major title, this time at the Amundi Evian Championship in France. A new driver shaft, new putting style, and a big time win for Canada's best and one of the world's best as well. And Tony Finau, a winner again on the PGA Tour with his family in tow at the 3M Open. How's this for 3Ms? Finau shows Mamba mentality in Minnesota. And the alliteration continues as Wyatt Worthington, the second wins. He got it done at the John Shippen to earn an exemption into this week's Rocket Mortgage Classic. Wyatt hops on the program to talk about his ride coming up on Golf Today. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Good Monday to you. This is Golf Today. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch of Golf Week Magazine. So much golf to consume over the weekend. But I got out and played a little bit golf. Did you break down and play a little bit of golf yourself this weekend? No, I don't have the emotional strength to do that okay. anymore. I spent my weekend watching two majors. You know what? I realized over the weekend if you throw in the Champions Tour alongside the, yeah. the men and the women, there are 14 majors in this game. We've now played 13 of them. And we're still getting into the meat of the season where there's still a lot to play for. Some guys are playing for big bonuses. Yeah. Some guys are playing for livelihoods over the next few weeks. Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy the action? I sure did. I, between my own tee shots, you know, and my own game, I was watching the best players in the world on the LPGA Tour. I was watching Tony Fino, and I was watching old Clarky kind of turn back the clock. That was the one that warmed my heart. That's the weather I wanted to see <laughs> in St. Andrews. If you're putting the best players in the world yeah. in the golf course in Scotland, you want to see them battling the elements. And at least I got some of that. Wasn't necessarily the the course of the tournament that I was hoping to see it in. Yeah. I wanted to see that a couple of weeks ago in St. Andrews, but it was pretty good to see those guys get knocked around a little bit by Scottish weather yesterday. But Sunday was all about Brooke. We hear from her on how she got it done. I feel like uh, I did a pretty good job, and Britt was really key in that, you know, just uh, reminding me that, you know, we're still in it. Um, just relax um, and hit good shots and, you know, try to hit fairways, try to hit greens, um, just keep it simple. And then, you know, I was trying to, make as many birdies as I could coming down the stretch because, um, you know, the saying is that majors are won on the back nine on Sunday. Um, so I just tried to hit really solid shots um, and make as many birdies as I could. As you were standing over that putt on 18, uh, were there nerves and, and what were you thinking over that putt? Uh, yeah, yeah, there were for sure. You know, it was, it was amazing the huge crowds that were out this week and especially around that 18th hole. Um, it makes it really special when you can hit good shots and have the celebrate with you um, around that 18th green because it is an amazing atmosphere. Um, over that putt, you know, really, I just did not want to go to a playoff. I did not want to play that hole again. So I was like, please go in. Um, but, you know, I just tried to get a good read on it. Um, and Britt and I agreed with the read, which um, gives you a little extra confidence too when you're both seeing the same thing um, and just obviously try to give enough pace to give it a run. Great. How was your, your putting this week? A lot has been made of the move to left-hand low and really how your, your putting has improved dramatically over the last few weeks. How comfortable are you feeling on the putting greens right now? Uh, yeah, the left-hand low move was huge. And also, you know, we've worked a lot, coach, my coach and my sister, I've worked a lot on, you know, just green reading um, and being more confident over it and trying to clear the mind a little bit. Um, and those steps have really made a huge difference. And, um, you know, the first three days I putted so well. Um, it, it was a, an amazing feeling. Today it was a little bit up and down, but it, it bailed me out when I needed it um, on the back nine. So, yeah, you know, just I feel like when you're out here on tour, you're just always trying to get it a little bit better in all areas. And this year, for the last couple of months especially, it's been on the putting. Um, so it's nice to see that that's um, uh, paying off. How different are you as a person and a player from when you won KPMG? And now that you've won another one, how much did you really want that second major? <laughs> um, yes, I... In 2016, winning my first major, it completely changed my life. Uh, you know, my world ranking shot up, and I just received ton more attention from fans and, and media. And you know, it also made me feel like I, I really belonged out here, and that I, I could contend for big major championships and, and compete against the best in the world, which is an amazing feeling. And it has been a long time, and. You know, getting off to a fast start early this week, it just felt great to be at the top of the leaderboard at a major. Um, and I just tried to take that excitement as far as I could. And 
um, you know, to be sitting here, uh, two-time major champion is um, just an unreal feeling. And, you know, my coach, my dad, and my mom's support, and, of course, Britt, who's out there all the time with me. Um, it's just uh, amazing, and it's going to be really cool, and we can all celebrate together. Brooke Henderson, pride of Canada, now the first Canadian woman or man to win multiple major championships. See the great Sandra Post and Mike Weir, also major winners from Canada. In fact, Brooke in 2016 became the second youngest winner of an LPGA major at age 18, trailing only Lydia Ko by around four months or so. You know, Eamon, two things stand out to me. One is, you know, we were both in Scotland and saw Cameron Smith shoot 64. But that's, that's atypical of how major championship Sundays go. It's more typical for a 71, which is what Brooke Henderson shot. She four-putted the sixth, and then she birdied the seventh. It's, it's a slog. It's a grind often on major championship Sundays. And the second was the talking point at the start of the year surrounding Brooke Henderson. How would she adjust to the model local yeah. rule by the USGA and RNA limiting the driver shaft length to 46 inches from 48? And how she adjusted extremely well. And I remember speaking to Christian Pena of Ping, who said that you can't stop greatness with a shorter driver. And I loved watching Brooke Henderson compete this week. And, you know, you, whether you want to call it confidence or, or swagger, but to watch her on a tee box, it's swing, grab the tee. There's just, it's just a simple, beautiful move. And whatever adjustment it took, Amy, it obviously didn't take very long. She's now a multiple winner this season. Yeah, and she showed tremendous resolve yesterday as well. I mean, she was three over par for her round through 11 holes yesterday. And we saw some of the struggles that she had, but then she birdied three of her last five holes, which is kind of what is demanded yeah. of major champions. And to me, what's really intriguing is that she's evidence of how even elite players need to hit a reset button mm. at some point. Earlier this year, she withdrew from the Lotte Championship with an undisclosed illness where she was the defending champion. She then missed the cut in consecutive tournaments out in Los Angeles, and she just went home to mom. She, she yeah. said she was taking a break. She left the tour for five weeks went home to Canada, just said she hit a, hit a reset button, got a little perspective, just hung out at home. And when she came back, she came back putting left hand low. And if you look at her putting's average over the last few years on the PGA Tour, it does actually tell a story here. If you look at that number 2019 when she was ranked 34th, she won twice that year on the LPGA Tour. This year, she's ranked 49th. There were those two lost years in between where she didn't perform at the level she expects to. She's now ranked 49th and she's won twice since she made this putting change. So it, it tells you what the other strengths are of Brooke Henderson's game. The, the driver that you mentioned, both in distance and in proximity to, to the fairway. I mean, she's, she's also pretty accurate yeah. as well. And if she puts acceptably, if she's a middle of the pack putter, then she, she's kind of hard to beat. Yeah, I love that you mentioned the reset and going home. I think she and other players, especially who don't come from the United States, who play most of their golf in the United States, and especially Canadian golf fans. You know, I've been covering this game for 20 years. I see Canadian fans, they travel. They travel for Corey Connors. They may travel for Mike Weir. And they travel for Brooke Henderson. She's now perhaps the greatest Canadian golfer of, of all time. She's kind of making her way at the age of 24, 12 wins now on the LPGA Tour, including two major championships. But I'm... I marvel at the mental toughness and strength that it takes to kind of carry the hopes of a country on your shoulders. And I think that reset is probably a part of that. It's very important for her to kind of step away from the game. And she's very cognizant of that as well. We had her on the show uh, a couple of years ago when she had her 10th victory yeah, that's right. on, on the LPGA Tour. And even that made her the winningest Canadian golfer on any tour yeah. anywhere. And now with 12 victories it's you know it just keeps adding but it adds to the pressure as well as the resume grows the expectations grow yeah as well and I think it's a great thing for her to get that second major off her back because she was quite young mm. when she won her first one yeah. at 18 years of age and it's it's you know kind of the the tragedy of this game in a way is that phenoms at a certain age are are judged against the player that's farther and farther right. in the rearview mirror. We see that all the time with, with Rory McIlroy being judged against the player he was when he was 21, 22 years old. Right. You know, that's not the person you are, it's not the player you are as life moves on. She's still only 24 years old, but she hasn't put herself in the mix in major championships as often as she might have expected given that start. Yeah. So checking another one 
off the list right now. It, it, it strikes me as the kind of victory that could have propulsive effects. How about the her? fact that she might have felt, I think, by any account, if she wanted to, targeted a little bit by this model local rule, and not a lot of players that were even using that that 40. I mean, she was one of the ones that was employing it and, and loved using it, and I think it had to have been a bit of a, an affront to her in how she went about her business, but her response was to come back and win twice now. She's made the, the putter style change, and she's made the adjustment with the driver's step. How much is this, in your mind, just old-school athletic motivation? Well, as our friends at Ping said, you're just not going to keep someone with talent down. Yeah. All players like to whine about changes. Oh, yeah. They all like to think they're being targeted and by any And they use it, don't they? Rooter. They use it as a chip. I think they do. What yeah. surprised me at the time was that she didn't actually change the driver shaft until the last possible moment. Yeah. She showed up for the Chevron, yeah. and she actually played well there that week. She had a top 20. Yeah. And then it was once she sorted out the putting, well, then, you know, things started to go in her direction. And two wins yeah. in the last couple of months would suggest that nothing is in, in her path right now. Much like Webb Simpson, you know, post-anchor ban, finding a way to win a player's championship, Brooke Henderson, with this model local rule, finds a way to add a second major championship. Really does. Well, from a major winner to a major comeback. When Golf Today returns, we'll show you how Tony Finau was able to grab an unlikely victory in a 3M Open for his third PGA Tour win. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And Win Grips, the best grips in golf. And by Bushnell Golf and the new wingman. Crank up your game. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Emotion from Tony Finau. Now a three-time winner on the PGA Tour, made up a lot of ground on Sunday, final round of 67, and afterwards, big tone cut up with our own Kira K. Dixon. Well, it was a dramatic Sunday here at the 3M Open, but Tony Finau is walking away with his third victory on the PGA Tour. Tony, describe what the emotions are, knowing you're going home with this trophy. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I, I've won the tournament and I think it's kind of just setting in. You know, there's so many emotions as, as you play a final round and you're in contention. I feel like I felt my I felt like I was four back and next thing you know I was four up. It really just happened that fast. Um, but uh, really happy to get this win. And, um, you know, it's, it's it hasn't been the season that I've wanted. I've had a few chances to win and to get to notch this one is uh, I'm really happy about. You said in your comments yesterday that anything can happen on a Sunday in the yeah. PGA Tour. So for that quick flip to happen from uh, five back at the turn, you know, at what point did you know that you had the lead? I didn't know until I was on 16T. Um, after I made that putt on 15, I felt like, you know, maybe I was tied or um, wasn't exactly sure what Scott was doing behind me. And then there's a leaderboard over by 16, and I looked over, and I happened to be, I think, three shots up at that time, which was really surprising to me. So, you know, obviously some things happened to Piercy on the back, but... Um, I just knew if I if I played some solid golf, I was going to have a chance on 18. That's all I wanted. And um, man, lo and behold, I had a four shot lead and all the emotions were a lot different. It was just like, all right, how can we make a par here to win this golf tournament? Really solid part of your game today was your putting. You had some challenges putting all week and then all yeah. of a sudden today your, sec your second strokes gained putting. So what was the difference there going into today? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's any technical differences. Just uh, I saw a big one go in on 14. I think on 11, actually. I saw a big one go in, and then I saw another one go in on 14. So I was hitting good putts, I feel like, all week. But the putter felt better as the day went on, which is nice on a Sunday for me. That hasn't been the case in the past. So hopefully I can continue to build on this. And, um, yeah, it's just sweet to see those balls go in when, uh, when you really need them. Came here straight from St. Andrews. You said that there really was no time for jet lag when your kids are right there, excited to see you. How special was this week with your kiddos, and then to be able to hug them on that 18th green and share this win with them? Yeah, it was amazing. You know, my I haven't been, I haven't won a golf tournament with my family. They've been with me all season, uh, so this one's going to be about as special maybe as any that I ever win. And uh, to have my wife there, all my kids, 
Um, they see the work that I put in, and, and it's important for me for them to see that, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of loss, no matter no matter what. But there's also wins, and there's also good things that happen when you work hard and and try to be a good person. And and so, if, you know, this win is for my kids, my family, and uh, it's, it's fantastic to win with them here. I hope you all enjoy celebrating together. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. From the hard pan of the old course to the soft conditions in Blaine, Tony Finau finding a way to really execute on Sundays. His last six final round scores. Look at the cumulative average, 66.8. He is third in final round scoring this season. It was 23rd a year ago. Amy was 129th in 2020 for a player who was criticized for kind of being in the mix. Top 10 Tony, all these nicknames. A three-time winner now. One last season in the playoffs. Now he wins for the third time in his career in finding a way to close the deal on a Sunday. But wasn't it always a slightly unfair rap on him whenever he was in the mix all the time? Because in so many of those final rounds, Tony Finau didn't just implode and shoot a 75 or an 80. In a lot of those rounds, Tony Finau shot under par, shot in the 60s quite a few times, but was just beaten by a better yes. player. You know, the, the nerves weren't quite there at the end. The putts didn't quite drop. He didn't execute the shots as he needed to. And now it's kind of an interesting thing to watch this sea change with Finau where he's traded consistency for opportunism. Mm. And if you go back to 2018, that was the season I thought that defined Tony Finau as top 10 Tony. He had 12 top 10s that year in 18 starts, on tour, sorry, 28 starts on tour. But he was there, it seemed like, almost every week. And even in the years since then, he's averaged eight, nine, 10, top 10 finishes per year, didn't actually win very much at all. This year in 19 starts, he's only had four top 10 finishes. Yeah. But of those four, he's now had a win and two second place finishes as well. And maybe that's the blueprint for success on the PGA Tour is it's, it's less corrosive to have fewer near misses yeah. and top 10 finishes. And when he gets in the mix now, he is absolutely right there on Sunday with the two runner-ups. And yesterday he proved it. You know, you, you can have that final round scoring average. Sometimes you need a little bit of help yeah. from others. He got a lot of help from Scott Piercy yesterday, but he, he delivered what he needed to do. It's amazing how sometimes playing great golf and often playing great golf leaves you vulnerable to criticism. When you're in the mix a lot, you're not going to win. That's silly win. You're going to have... Top fives, top tens, runner-up finishes. And it was just strange how he kept piling up these top tens, some 30-some starts since 2016 before that second victory when he got it done in the playoffs last season. He said a few years ago when he was battling Webb Simpson um, at, at, the way, at the WM Phoenix Open that he wanted to adopt a Mamba mentality. At, at that point, he had one win on his PGA Tour resume, and he was criticized. The Mamba mentality, that referred to Kobe Bryant, one of the great assassins in the history of sport mm -hmm. and competition, a very different character than Tony Fina, who is a lovely human being, one of the more popular players in the locker room and also among the fourth estate in terms of folks you want to talk to and interview for insight. You saw the big family there, five kids, his wife there as well. So it seemed kind of like a dissonance, him talking about Kobe in terms of what the results were, we were seeing from him. But now we're starting to see a different Tony Finau, if only with the final round scoring. To go from 129th in the final round scoring in 2020 to third on the PGA Tour this season, that's, that, that's a change. That's a change, I think, more in mindset and mentality <coughs> as opposed to a change in his game. And to, it's all the more impressive to do that considering he's still ranked 142nd in strokes gain putting on the yeah. PGA Tour after that victory. And the Mamba mindset only carries you so far because you can only control what you're doing. The great point, in yeah. In this game, you can't control what others are doing, but what he has been able to control has been pretty impressive. Yesterday, you know, he obviously got a little wobbly on those last couple of holes, but he had given himself enough breathing room mm. to actually get wobbly yeah. at that point. When he won the Northern Trust last year in that playoff with Cam Smith, he just hit one clutch shot after another. Yeah. And that's the change you see in Tony Finau is the opportunism, the ability to grab an occasional tournament by the throat. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily work your way. The putts don't fall. Somebody else just simply outplays you. But you get the sense that there is a consistent mindset yeah. that he has now that's perhaps a little more confident than it was a few years ago when he was just top 10 Tony. Well, now he's three-win Tony. Yeah, greatness is greedy. And so neat to see Tony Finau starting to add some trophies 
to the mantelpiece. Well, Tony Finau wasn't the only guy taking home some hardware yesterday. Wyatt Worthington II won the John Shippen National Golf Invitational, and that earns him a tee time on the PGA Tour of this week's Rocket Mortgage Classic. Worthington joins us right after the break. Welcome back to Golf Today. The PGA Tour continues its Midwest swing, heading a little east to Detroit, Michigan, the home of the Rocket Mortgage Classic. This year marks the fourth plane of this event with Australia's Cameron Davis defending his title. A lot of major champions in the field this week, 11 of them in total, including Masters champion, you see there, Zach Johnson, Danny Willett, Adam Scott, and a couple of old US Open champions as well, Jeff Ogilvy in there oh. as well, and Gary Woodland. Well, there was a big addition to the field yesterday, Wyatt Worthington II. He will tee it up after winning the John Shippen National Golf Invitational at Detroit Golf Club. 22 players in the field, Wyatt followed up with a first round 73 with a great 65 in the final round for a one-shot victory. The winner of this 36-hole event earns an exemption into the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And with that, we say hello to Wyatt Worthington II. Wyatt, congratulations on the victory. You've qualified for the PGA Championship twice, including this year at Southern Hills, but this is your first regular PGA Tour start. Are the nerves any different? Is the anticipation the same? Uh, that's a great question. I would say anytime I can get inside the ropes, that's that's more than enough. But uh, at the end of the day, I know I have to focus on the task at hand and is playing good golf. So uh, nerves will be there, uh, obviously, just like, you know, anything that you want bad enough. But at the end of the day, you know, these are the great players uh, the best players in the world, and I'm happy to uh, have an opportunity to play against them. All right, Wyatt, let's get specific. As you go through your checklist to get ready for the week, what are some of the most important things you need to accomplish? Uh, this is an old-fashioned golf course, Detroit Golf Club. Um, fantastic track. Uh, it goes without saying you got to keep the ball in play, right, uh, before you do anything else. Keep the ball in play, and they're very tricky greens, subtleties, as well as uh, and you have to make sure you give yourself the maximum amount of opportunities. So uh, that's definitely going to be on my checklist, and it, and it won't hurt if I knock in the putt or two from there. <laughs> Why, yesterday when you were waiting to pick up your trophy, you exchanged some words with the old Detroit Lions great Barry Sanders. He had some words of wisdom for you that you ended up writing down. What did he say, and what did you take from it? Wow, you're putting me on the spot. So I have it in my phone, uh, and I memorized it, but I met so many people. Uh, but I'm paraphrasing. Uh, it went around, uh, opportunity is disguised as hard work. Uh, and I had a brief conversation with him. Huge fan to begin with. I can't believe I even met him, uh, first and foremost. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's what it's really uh, what about. You know, hard work behind the scenes, and, and hopefully, you know, you can get this once-in-a-life opportunity once-in-a-lifetime opportunity such as this, and I'm very thankful for, you know, Rocket Mortgage and John Shippen to give me this opportunity. Well, Wyatt, you work very hard in a number of different realms. In fact, this great piece from the golf writer Pharrell Evans, a buddy of yours in mind, I read where you're giving golf lessons, you're juggling finances, and also trying to play. Now, can you commit to playing full-time, or is that just not financially feasible for you at this point? Yeah. Um, wow, that's we're getting deep. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if I'm you know, being vulnerable, it's, it's tough. I don't, I didn't come from the financial means. Uh, you know, I never grew up on a golf course or things of that nature. And I save all my lesson money and caddy money just to keep my dream alive. And that's to play on the PGA tour. If there's, you know, ever a chance I can get a sponsor to help me, you know, take away, take away some of the financial burden that that would be a blessing. Uh, I feel as though I have the game and the work ethic and, and the dedication and persistence of what it takes. It's just the financial, uh, hurdle that's really been uh, helping me, you know, get inside the ropes. Wyatt, you've described yourself in the past as just a first tee kid from Columbus, Ohio, and it's almost 21 years to the day. Just in a few days, it'll be the anniversary where you met Tiger Woods at a first tee event. That meeting had quite an impact on you and your direction you decided to take in life, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's crazy that another anniversary is coming up. I know when I played in my first PGA Championship, uh, it was on that same, it was on that same day that I got the lesson from Tiger Woods that I played in my first major. So, uh, for it to kind of, you know, start coming around, I play in my first PGA tour event. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing, uh, you know, what, uh, small instances in someone's life can have a huge impact. And I have to thank Tiger Woods for that. Uh, I don't know where I would be without him. 
You know, Wyatt, ahead of the PGA at Southern Hills, I read that you were on the phone every day trying to raise money to cover your personal expenses, and you've talked about those challenges. That's not exactly ideal tournament prep. Are you able to compartmentalize that and leave it in the hotel or, or the rental house, or does that stress follow you to the course sometimes? Wow, you guys are going uh, into the deep questions. I love this. Uh, so that's funny how everything's kind of coming full circle. Uh, I just had a conversation uh, with my caddy onto the way uh, on property. And he's like, yo, how do you compartmentalize all this stuff that's kind of going on? And uh, it's tough, right? I know some people, I mean, we all have problems at the end of the day, uh, but I know some people don't have to deal with, you know, these financial hurdles that I have to do. I'm not making any excuses. These are just the cards I'm dealt. Uh, but it it definitely is, is a tough, uh, you know, it kind of weighs on my shoulders. Uh, I'll be lying to you if I said it didn't, but, you know, at the end of the day, I try to focus on, you know, what really matters and to do the best I can and just to really focus on just good golf. Uh, I know that it's kind of cliche now, right, when it comes to good golf takes care of everything, but you even have to have an opportunity to play good golf, if that kind of makes sense. So, uh, yeah, like having that financial, uh, um, you know, burden uh, be uplifted would be, uh, blessing, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You're the second winner of the John Chippen Invitational who's earned the exemption into the Rocket Mortgage Classic, Wyatt. Do you feel any, in a way, added pressure to honour that opportunity, or are you able, once you get there on Thursday morning, to separate how you got there from what you're there to do? Uh, another great question. You guys should do this for a living. <laughs> uh, I would say... At the end of the day, I know that I don't play for just myself. Uh, I play for my friends, family, and anyone who was underprivileged that never really had an opportunity. So I also take and I have consciousness to take that in consideration because I know there's 21 other players that played in the John Ship and that would love to have this opportunity and they're great players and that they deserve their flowers as well too. So uh, with that being said, um, I'm very blessed to have this opportunity, but I know that I have a job to do, and it's not it's not over yet. I'm excited to be here, uh, but at that point, you know, it's it's at that point where I have to just focus and you know get the job done. Um, you know, not only make the cut, but I want to win. Uh, I, you know, there could be a, a few things that's uh, I'll be behind the eight ball, but it doesn't mean that I can play the best I can and, and hoist the trophy Sunday. We're seeing a lot of programs surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion in the game in this era. How valuable is the John Shippen or programs that we've seen like the Farmers Insurance and their relationship with the APGA Tour? Yeah. Uh, without the John Shippen, I, you wouldn't see me. Uh, and just to kind of, you know, give a little more perspective and, and a little more context, I'm <laughs> a PGA golf professional, and I'm – there's 28,000, give or take, and I'm, you know, right around 170 uh, African-Americans that's in that realm. So I'm less than half a percent here uh, in, in the PGA of America, and I'll probably be less than a half a percent in uh, the PGA Tour. So for the John Shippen to give, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion, uh, us opportunity to showcase our talents, uh, it's what it's really all about. I feel as though we have the talents, we just need the opportunity access and resources to, to do so. Well, Wyatt, you said we've had a lot of deep questions. Let's just have a light one here. What are you most looking forward to? What's, what's going to be the pinch yourself moment this week? Yeah, uh, well, there's so many. I don't even know where to start. Uh, but I will say uh, just touch, touching base with the fans um, that I've already, you know, got to know uh, so many Detroit golf members and just this love and support that I'm even getting from you guys from the Golf Channel. Uh, but just to play some good, solid golf and to lead by example and let the you know future or let the um, next generation coming up that it is possible to chase your dreams and you, you have what it takes to you know be inside the ropes. And I think you know there's a, a lack of representation. Uh, and I feel as though you know John Chippen is is doing a great part of uh, their part and you know making. Uh, filling that void, if you will. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I can keep going, going on and on and on, but I'm pretty sure there's a, a time restraint on this. Well, Wyatt, we've enjoyed uh, <laughs> meeting you in this way and, and seeing you rock the 
Eastside Golf logo on your yeah. shirt and hat. And Thank congratulations you. on winning the John Chip. And have fun this week. Enjoy it. And hopefully we speak to you on the other side. Thanks so much. No, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate this. Thank you. All right. Wyatt Worthington II, get ready for the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And how about two of the best to ever do it? Legends of the LPGA battling it out at the senior LPGA. I'm talking Annika and Kari. We'll show you who came out on top right after the break. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. All folks of a certain vintage will love this segment. Maybe some younger viewers as well. Two greats of the game, Annika Sorenstam and Kari Webb, were battling the final group yesterday at the Senior LPGA Championship at Selena Country Club in Kansas. In the end, the seven-time major champ, Kari Webb, got the better of the 10-time major champ, Annika. Kari shooting a 67 in the final round for a four-shot victory. So great to see these names. It's a game for a lifetime indeed. Congrats to Kari Webb. And still to come on Golf Today, we're down to the final couple of events before the start of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Who needs to make a move? Who needs to watch their backs? Break it all down right here after the break. up as Golf Today continues, Bethann Nichols is joining us to talk about Brooke Henderson's big weekend and which of the LPGA Tour's biggest stars most needs a solid showing in the year's final major. And one of our most recent and most inspiring national champions will be here, Kim Moore. She was the first winner of the US Adaptive Open. We'll hear her story as Golf Today rolls on. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Welcome back to Golf Today. I'm Eamon Lynch. He's Damon Hack. And Damon, the, certainly in the men's game, the major season may be over, but there's a lot to play for. There's a lot of nitty-gritty we're getting down to in the next few weeks. Still some movement we'll see, I imagine. The FedEx Cup standings, I think that uh, stamina is going to be a very important word. We'll hear a lot over the next couple of weeks as the players gear up for the playoffs. It's been an intriguing season in some way a fatiguing season but I look forward to seeing what these players have in the tank as they look forward to the FedEx Cup playoffs. The Wyndham to me is always one of the more fascinating and undervalued events on the calendar because that's when guys start to play for their livelihoods yeah and, and whether they make the the playoffs and you know Jay Monahan announced at the Travelers last month that they're going to bring back the Q school starting at the end yeah. of next year and you know, I've talked to a lot of guys who played Q School over the years. They all seem traumatized by they the want, They don't want it back. <laughs> no, it, it was just a meat grinder yeah. for six days. And that kind of thing, it's, it's fascinating entertainment when you see the best players in the world, some of whom have really accomplished resumes, suddenly playing for the right to have a job for the following year. It gets real interesting real quick. I loved it. I covered it at Orange County National. Gosh, we're talking about 16 years ago. And, and to see the look on the players' faces, they're walking by the scoreboard. I mean, nobody's looking each other in the eye. The they're stress haunted. level is high. They are haunted, but I thought it was one of the great, great events. Watch, though, of the, yeah, I mean, for, for, for us, for what we yeah. do, we, we like a little stress and a little, <laughs> little tears sometimes as well, sometimes of joy and sometimes of sadness. That's life. It is, and, you know, that's the, the, the agony and ecstasy of golf is rolled into one tournament yes. on that week at all because you see, and, you know, we've seen all these viral videos over the years of guys with putts that length on the final hole that seem Shaking. to go in and come back yeah. out. And suddenly they get wobbly, and then guys just suddenly deliver when they're, they're really required yeah. to deliver. And I remember having a conversation once with Brad Faxon who could tell you in forensic detail how traumatizing his first Q school was, and Brad never went back. Yeah. The Q School. In the 28 years he stayed on the PGA Tour because I don't think Brad ever wanted <laughs> to go through that again. And hashtag uh, Joe Daly, you mentioned the ball kind of hitting the back of that cup. I mean, they, you see some strange things at Q School. I'm glad it is back in business. And so much of this game, of course, is about winning. So, yeah, time now for winning moments presented by Win Grips. And despite entering the final round, trailing by five, Tony Finau got a final round 67 to capture his third. PJ Tour win and did it in convincing 
style as well. Made three consecutive birdies on the back nine, starting at 14 and capping off a three-shot victory. And interesting folks who watched last week, we took a look at Tony Finau's strokes gain numbers. It was not pretty, but look at the numbers. You know, it doesn't take much, Eamon. Sometimes just one week is all it takes. And the confidence of that is really what you want heading into this time of the year. There's a lot of money at stake Indeed. in the next few weeks in this game. How about that? One, one, two, and tied for third. And then here's Big Tone on how he got it done. It's awesome to get my third win here in Minnesota at the 3M Open. Um, golf tournament that I've loved, though I've always come back ever since they've had it here. And um, Man, talking about the last few hours, I think I'm still trying to catch up. I'm still trying to figure out you know, I think the win is finally settling in, and um, I was just I was just chasing all day. I, that's all I remember, really, all week. Scott played amazing golf, and, uh, you know, the thing about out here, I just know with the experience that I have, you just have to keep playing. You know, anything can happen, and that's what I did, and when I really needed to hold putts, I did, starting on 11, um, again on 14, 15, 16. I mean, I made some really crucial putts when I really needed them, and then, a little bit of some heroics down the stretch on 17 and 18. Um, a crazy bounce on 17. Um, I called bank in the air, so I think that I think that cancels everything out. <laughs> but I did get a great bounce there, and I took advantage of that. Um, you've had some close calls this year, a couple T2s, a T4 at Charles Schwab. Does this mean a little more with some near misses, uh, close calls this year now that you finally got one here? Yeah, all the wins mean a lot, but for sure, you know, after I won the Northern Trust, I knew... I had a lot of confidence that I didn't, I wasn't gonna have to wait another five years to get one. You know, you earn them out here. That's how it is. My game is as good as it's ever been, um, and really in all aspects. And so, you know, I I expected myself to contend and win again this year. And so, to be able to do it this late in the season, when you're running out of uh, running out of tournaments, and you put that type of expectation on yourself, it's so satisfying. That's what makes the game so great. So satisfying when you when you get the job done. Because you know that it doesn't happen very often, but this one's uh, this one's very special. I didn't know that I was the highest-ranked player in this field until pretty much on Wednesday, and I read something, and I was favored to win. And for some reason, that just like all of a sudden put some added like expectation and pressure on myself. I knew I was playing well, but then it was just like, oh well, this is a crazy situation because if you win. Everybody expected it. If you don't win, everybody's like, why didn't he? Well, he, you know, he, he can't win, right? So I think just that added, for some reason, like on Wednesday, there was like this added expectation that, I, you know, and I know how golf is. That doesn't mean anything. Everybody starts from scratch on hole one. But to be able to be the top-ranked player, to play like I did, to win, um, breeds a lot of confidence for me. Um, I know I have what it takes when I play well to win golf tournaments, no matter what magnitude and and this. But you still have to win them to keep that type of confidence. And from I think I was entering the week at 30th in the FedEx Cup to now 17th, that's winning takes care of everything. Um, and those guys at the top of that FedEx Cup are going to be extremely hard to to pass. But the great thing about the playoffs is they're triple points. So those tournaments mean a lot in the grand scheme of the FedEx Cup playoffs. And now I put myself in a situation where um, I win some of those tournaments coming home and I'm going to have a chance at East Lake. So this was extremely important on that journey to try and win a FedEx Cup. Jack Black said in Nacho Libre, we're getting down to the nitty gritty of this PGA Tour schedule. Rocket Mortgage this week, Wyndham. First week of August, and you got Memphis, the FedEx St. Jude Championship, Wilmington, Delaware. Come on down for the BMW Championship, and of course, the Tour Championship, FedEx Cup finale in Atlanta, Georgia. As we take a look now, Comcast Business Tour top 10. No changes, you'll notice in the top 10 following the 3M Open. Scotty Scheffler, where are you, Scotty? Where are you, Scotty Scheffler? There he is with a smile. Oh, this is like the, the happy face graphic, Amy. Sure, all of these guys have plenty of reasons to smile. Most of them have been winners on tour this year, and they're about to get a lot wealthier than they were starting the season. Yeah, going to be fun. All roads, of course, lead to Atlanta. As we look ahead 
this FedEx Cup finale. I'm, I'm curious what stands out to you. You can go in a lot of different directions. It's been a busy 2022. It has, and I, I tend to look for the farm horse okay. at, at this time of the year. And there are a lot of guys who've had great seasons who have, have cooled off a little bit. Scotty Scheffler is a guy who's cooled off. Obviously finished second at the US Open. He's had a couple of runner-ups since he won the Masters. But he hasn't had the hot streak, the yeah. hot hand that he had going earlier in the year. Justin Thomas, another guy who's kind of cooled off since winning the PGA at Southern Hills. I'm, I'm calling it now. It's Sander Schauffele's FedEx Cup. He's finished oh, second that? twice in the FedEx Cup in 2019, 2020. He obviously just coming off wins at the Travelers and the Genesis Scottish Open. I, I think Xander Schauffele is going to get it. Wow, I, I like that. Very intriguing pick. How about Rory McIlroy coming off the major championship season? You know, the optimists will say, <laughs> gosh, what a run. Four top ten finishes. And, and the pessimists will say, oh, you know, so close, but he didn't get that fifth major. I think, you know, and judging from what he said, what an opportunity for him to win the FedEx Cup for the third time and, and break the tie that he has with Tiger Woods. Those two, the only two-time winners of the FedEx Cup. What is your thought on that? We know he plays the golf course very, very well, but how about kind of, despite all the energy expended in contending for majors, Rory having a strong finishing kick? One would think it would be a little easier for him because he's on a break at, at the moment. Uh, he's over in England for a, a few weeks. He and his family rented a house over in Sunningdale rather than spend the summer in Florida. So he's not playing at all until the FedEx Cup playoffs start. So he's had a week to digest what happened at St. Andrews. He's got another couple of weeks to go. So presumably by the time he shows up in Memphis, he's going to have a little oomph back in his step and be ready to roll. And, yeah. You know, he, he's done it twice before, obviously, one twice at Eastlake yeah. as well. So he, he's positioned himself as well as one could during yes. the course of a season. He's right there, even with the staggered scoring system that's yeah. going to be in play. He's probably not going to be that far off of the leading position anyway when he gets there. So he's got as good a chance as anyone, and certainly he's got he's the only guy who's going to have a chance of winning three yeah. FedEx Cups. So nice to be in that top ten, but that's just one side of the story. It's also the bubble boys at this time of year. And, Eamon, my focus is on, on Webb Simpson. He's a major champ. He is a player's champ. And he has had a surprisingly inconsistent season for for one of the most, for one of the most consistent players of the last decade or so. Just one top ten finish in 17 starts, see the best finish in T8 at the RSM Classic where he typically plays well. More missed cuts for Webb than top 25s and then three missed cuts in his last four starts. And it's been greens and regulation for Webb. He's hitting 65% of his greens, 134th, uh, compared to 70%, almost 71% a couple of seasons ago. And that's surprising for someone who has been known to get a way to get the ball in the hole. Not the longest player. Not the best iron player. Had to find a way to manufacture a putting stroke after he lost the ability to anchor. But to see him on the bubble as opposed to someone potentially in the top 10 has been a bit of a surprise for me. It is a surprise with him because he is a staggeringly consistent player oh, yeah. and has been for so many years. And the idea that if uh, Webb Simpson might not actually make the playoffs just seems so far into anyone who's paid yes. attention to him. But it's also worth pointing out that the bubble as we know it is not necessarily the bubble given the strange times that we live in. There are currently 10 golfers who are allied with the Live Golf Series. Okay. And you can see their names here who are currently inside the top 125 in the FedEx Cup standings. And the tour has not made any statement as to what the future holds, but on June 9th, the tour did send their players a memo saying that the players who've gone to live would not be allowed to impact any other players' access to tournaments or to the FedEx Cup playoffs. Okay. And some of the names of live guys have been removed from the FedEx Cup standing, specifically those who have resigned their PGA Tour membership. Mm. There are others who have not resigned their, their PGA Tour memberships. There are some who are not even suspended. Jason Kokrak and Charles Howell will presumably join the ranks of the suspended later this week when they put a tee in the ground and actually play a, a live event in New Jersey. But as of now, they're not on the ranks of the suspended. So right now, there are 10 guys inside that top 125 and the Tour has told their members in a memo on June 9th that they will not allow those players to impact anyone else's ability to make the playoffs. So it's not unreasonable to think that those players will be 
ejected mm. from, from the playoffs since they are suspended and not eligible to play and that the bubble will shift accordingly. Do you think that the tenor of the FedEx Cup playoffs will change because some of those guys, or perhaps all of them, will be gone, considering we've seen some great duels in the history of the FedEx Cup playoffs throughout the playoffs, whether it's Tiger Phil or John Rahm, Dustin Johnson or, or Rory and Brooks, Cantley and Bryson. Do you think that the tenor will be a little different because 10 guys potentially could be, you know, sayonara? I'm not sure it will because the, the FedEx Cup playoffs, strangely, in a way, the narrative has never been about the names. Yeah. It's, it's about the events as they unfold. I mean, there are a lot of big names who make the playoffs, right. but they're not necessarily factors for winning by the okay. time they get to East Lake. Uh, sometimes they might win uh, or, or play well to try to advance up the rankings a little bit, but a lot of guys simply are not factors right. when it comes to winning the FedEx Cup. That's what drives the drama around the FedEx Cup. And it might be two guys that just simply don't have the profile right. of anyone else, but none of the guys who are potentially going to be ejected from the playoffs were anywhere close to the top of the standings anyway. Taylor Gooch is the only one in the top 20, and he is 20th right. on that list. And the odds that if... I think there's only a few of them would be likely to actually have even been inside the top 70 that would get them beyond the, the FedEx Championship and into the BMW Championship. Mm. But the narrative, the events, who has the chance of winning is typically what drives what's happening at the, at the FedEx Cup playoffs. People don't tend to focus on the guys who aren't in the mix, no matter how big the name is. It's a great point. Even in the spring and summer of strife, somebody's going to be holding that beautiful trophy at the end of the season in Atlanta. All right, folks, still to come on this Monday, our friend Beth Ann Nichols joins us. We'll discuss Brooks' win in France as well as a look ahead to the AIG Women's Open. That's coming up. Welcome back to Golf Today. Brooke Henderson entered the final round of the Evian Championship with a two-shot lead, but she quickly lost that lead, but got it back when it mattered over the closing holes to win the second major title of her career. The victory marked the Canadian's 12th win on the LPGA Tour. Here's a final look at the leaderboard from the Amundi Evian Championship. Henderson shot a final round of even par 71 to hold on by one stroke over the rookie, Sophia Schubert. And with that, we say hello to my Golf Week colleague, Beth Ann Nichols. Beth Ann, thanks for joining us. What is your takeaway, Brooke Henderson, major win number two? Uh, I think it was the mental fortitude that she displayed after that horrendous start. She was three over after 11 holes, of course, had that, that ugly four putt. And, and to turn it around, I thought it was funny at the very end after she went, she, she won, she said she turned to her sister Brittany and said, do we just do this? <laughs> because it was a little wild there. We had six players tied for the lead on the back nine. And, and Henderson buckled down and made that putt when it mattered most in the end. And I think that putt is going to take her to another level. I, I, I really do think that this, this was a, a massive win for Brooke Henderson, who waited a long time for her second major title. You know, Bethann, we love the unheralded players as well, whether they win or lose, whether it's a Bob May who didn't get it done or Hillary Lunky who did. What are your thoughts on this Sophia Schubert, this LPGA rookie who seemed to come out of nowhere? It looked like she was playing a Tuesday practice round, didn't it? <laughs> it looked like she felt absolutely <laughs> no pressure. It was it was phenomenal. It was so much fun to watch. And and Sophia's vaulted up to number fifty three in the world, and and you know she's in everything now for the rest of the year. Won over five hundred thousand dollars. Just a huge week for this rookie. And when you look at her at twenty six compared to a twelve time winner in Brooke Henderson at twenty four, and you see that the road that they they took was so different and. That, and that Sophia won the U.S. Women's Amateur Champion, graduated from Texas, you know, four-year player. And then, you know, she actually got into a car accident, a head-on collision before Q School in 2019, and, and that derailed her for a little while. And so she she goes into the offseason. She adds 25 yards to, into the bag. She's hitting it a lot further off the tee, ready to go into 2020 in the Epson Tour, and then COVID hits. And, of course, that puts a big damper. So it seems like it was a longer road than it might have under normal circumstances been for Sophia Schubert to get to the LPGA and to get into this position. But my goodness, is she making the most of it? Beth Ann, it wasn't just the players who were making news last week. The LPGA Tour Commissioner, Molly Marcosaman, 
was quoted as saying that if Liv Golf reached out, she would take the call. What, what did you make of that and what do you think the reaction would be among players? You know, honestly, I wasn't surprised because, you know, we, we saw just the week before that Greg Norman tell the Palm Beach Post that 100% there, there will be a, a live women's league. And, and I think, you know, the LPGA doesn't have the luxury of, of paying tons and tons of money to try to, to keep their stars on tour. And so I do think that Molly's going to have to have a conversation with, with Liv, with Greg Norman to see what their plans are because so many players are already entrenched in, in golf Saudi. There's already a big series on the ladies European tour and the Aramco series. And, and let's face it, if they were to set up a carbon copy tour league of what they've done in men's golf, I, it would it could destroy the LPGA. I mean, it would certainly set them back all the, the ways that they've come in the last five years to have 45, 48 stars leave would be disastrous for the LPGA. And I think there are enough players who are really interested in finding out how much money we're talking about here that it's a really big concern for the LPGA. They're, they're going to have to figure out a way to, to coexist. You know, we've seen the strength of, of Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy in the men's game. Kari Webb on this program talked about how vulnerable the LPGA is, and you're echoing her, her thoughts. Are there some folks that would be staunchly against it? Are there enough Kari Webbs on the LPGA or LPGA veterans who would say, wait, this is not the move to make? Well, if you're asking in terms of whether or not players – you know, pleading with star players not to go over to to another league. You know, I, I think Stacy Lewis would would be one who would step up and say, "I'm I'm really worried about the future of this tour." You know, in, in terms of you know how how should we coexist with how should we potentially partner with with the Saudis? What does that look like? There are a lot of question marks there. Uh, you know, I think I think the, the step number one is to try to to keep them from creating this separate tour. Because as I said earlier, I, I don't see how the LPGA can withstand that, that kind of blow. Well, moving from what may happen in the future to the here and now, we're only a couple of weeks away now, Beth Ann, from the season's final major when the women go to Muirfield. Who do you think has the most to prove in that final major? Oddly enough, I think it's the world number one. <laughs> you know, I, even though Jin Yunko is the number one player in the world, she she hasn't won a major <laughs> since 2017, which was the Evian. She she hasn't won on the LPGA since March, and and I think that you know she she walked away really frustrated on Sunday that she was too over par, you know, through nine holes, couldn't really make a move until it was it was too late. And just didn't get enough putts to drop on Sunday. So, you know, I, I definitely think that for Jin Young to feel like, you know, this has been a successful season, she's, she would love nothing more than than to win another major. And, and it seems odd to say that, you know, she's in this drought. But given how many times she's won since 2019, it does feel like a major drought. Well, from the best now to the best of yesteryear, what was it like for you seeing Annika Sorenstam and Kari Webb in that showdown in Kansas at the senior LPGA. I was hitting refresh. I can't tell you, I can't tell you the last time I hit refresh so many times. It was killing me that I couldn't see more of it. And they start off, Annika holds out for Eagle on the first hole, and Gary's like, okay, game on. You know, they were they were nodded when they made the turn. They were they were all square, shall we say? It was this was definitely a two-player race all the way through on Sunday. And then Annika just couldn't take advantage of the par fives down the stretch. She parred all three on the back nine and Kari made an eagle and jumped ahead and, and never looked back. And, you know, I don't know how many more times we're going to get to see Kari and Annika in the same field. You know, I, I know Annika is going to play, obviously, try to defend her title at the Senior Women's Open. And, and Kari's still too young to play in that championship at 47. She has to wait until she's 50. So, you know, I just, this was just a, a, it feels like a rare moment in time for us to have this. Um, revisiting a rivalry. And it was kind of fun to ask them both about the rivalry. And, and Kari said ahead of the Dow, she said she wished in retrospect that maybe they'd played up the rivalry even more, that it would have been really good for the tour because it was a legitimate rivalry. But she felt like in a rivalry, there has to be a good guy and a bad guy. And the way she was struggling with the press at that time, 
personally, she felt like she would be painted as the bad guy, which is why she shied away from it. Yeah, I remember those. Very interesting. It was. They had a commercial where one of them had the kick me on, on the <clears> back. I mean, it was almost like Tiger Phil uh, LPGA style. I love seeing it. Bet that. I know you mm -hmm. did as well. Thanks for hopping on, as always. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Back on golf today in the last week, a new national championship at Pinehurst number six showcased the world's best golfers with disabilities. The U.S. Adaptive Open Championship now serves as the USGA's 15th national championship. And Kim Moore won the women's division by commanding eight strokes thanks to a final round 76. Now, she was born without a right foot and with a severely clubbed left foot. She played college golf at the University of Indianapolis and is currently the women's golf coach at Western Michigan. And the Kim Moore Spirit Award is given to college golfers in all divisions to exemplify perseverance and high character. How about this billboard, folks? Kim Moore, women's head coach at Western Michigan University, giving some love for her triumph at Pioneers. This billboard was put up in Kalamazoo, which is where the university is located, giving props to Moore. Very, very cool. And we're joined now by Kim Moore. Kim, first of all, congratulations on winning. What are the moments that have stuck with you from last week? Um, it's, it was, it's just been an honor. Um, I, you know, some of the things that stick out are just the professionalism of the tournament, all the people that were there, the volunteers, um, the USGA staff. Um, it's just, it's just been a high class golf tournament and I'm just so excited to be able to be the first winner of it. Kim, we just heard there that you were born without a right foot and a severely clubbed left foot. How did you find your way into athletics and golf specifically? I just grew up with a, in a sports family. Um, you know, I was born without the right foot and uh, have really known nothing different. And so, um, you know, my parents and my siblings have always just told me to do anything that I want to do and try anything that I want to try. And, um, Growing up in a sports family, um, I started playing basketball. That was honestly my uh, first sport that I really played and kind of dabbled in all the different sports, but um, just just grew to um, get involved with golf and, you know, golf being such an adaptive type sport, uh, you can have any sort of disability and be able to participate and play. And, um, you know, with the help of some really helpful golf professionals, uh, Gary Gant uh, and uh, he was in Pine Valley uh, in Fort Wayne is kind of where I started with lessons. And um, he helped me adapt the golf swing that I needed to be successful and uh, just kind of went from there. I mean, sports is so much about problem solving and you're doing the same thing. How much are you just jazzed as a person to be able to, to, to try to adapt and have to adapt? How much does that kind of just kind of speak to you, whether it's basketball, golf, finding a way to perform? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what it's all about. Um, you know, I'm not just going to sit here and do nothing. Uh, I'm going to try to find a way to to kind of give it my best, do the best I can. I'm a very competitive person, so I like to be the best in whatever I try to do. And so um, however I can adapt to that, uh, I'm going to try to make make it work. Uh, I guess that's the beauty of the human spirit, being able to, you know, have challenges and, and overcome those. And you know, those uh, 96 participants in the field this past week um, kind of just proved that. Kim, there are a lot of diversity of stories and backgrounds and diversity and abilities and even competitiveness that, that we saw last week in Pinehurst. So while you left with the trophy, a lot of people had kind of small victories of their own. What do you take from being in that environment for a week? Um, you know, it's... That's the beauty of this tournament is uh, everybody's family. Um, you know, not everybody's going to win at the end, but uh, every single one of those players was just extremely happy for me and for Simon, who won the the men's championship. Um, and you know, there there are individual prizes for different divisions, and so you know, everybody who succeeded in their division also got rewarded and honored and. Um, you know, going into events like that, this isn't my first adaptive type golf tournament. So, you know, there were some people that I knew coming in and, um, you know, it's just like being with family and, 
and friends and you know the camaraderie is is so special at all of these adaptive type golf tournaments and you know this usga one being one of the biggest it's it was no different kim we love showing the highlights from last week and then we had uh, mike Wan, ceo of the usga on the program and he said that young people with disabilities were, were lining the fairways watching you and others and it really struck me how much did that move you oh it was uh you know nerve-wracking for sure um coming down the 18th and uh seeing all the spectators in the background and you know a lot of the cameras following along but um you know it, it's it's what makes this tournament so special i mean the viewership and the the media attention um, you know, hopefully, you know, the game of golf, especially in the adaptive golf community, will grow from this event. Uh, I have no doubt it will. And, um, you know, it's just special to be a part of history. And, you know, I, I was there, you know, with those little girls as well, just cheering on my favorite athletes. And hopefully, you know, uh, just by them watching, they could be inspired, not just by me, but the rest of the field. Is that what you hope the, the, the real takeaway is from this week, Kim, in terms of what the creation of the U.S. Adaptive Open will have in terms of a knock-on effect for the, the people who are going to want to come and take your trophy next year? Yeah, I, I hope it does develop that competitiveness. Um, you know, the 96 players that were in the field uh, were, all, were all very... Hopefully it just generates more participation. I know there was quite a few entrants that didn't get in. And I think that um, hopefully that number just grows. And uh, hopefully with the emergence of this tournament, uh, we'll add to, you know, potentially the Paralympics and, um, you know, the opportunities that that can bring as well for people like myself. And um, I just, I, I have no doubt that this championship is going to continue to grow and get better and more competitive. And uh, I'm just excited to, to kind of be here when it does. Well, Kim, you're an inspiration, but not only that, you're a baller joining the likes of Tiger and Rory, eight-shot victory in a big-time event. Thank you so much for your time. Congratulations. Look forward to talking to you sometime soon. Thank you so much, and I think I appreciate you guys having me on. And, um, you know, I got to say a shout-out to my Broncos and my team, and uh, you know, I really appreciate the time. Go Broncos, go Kalamazoo. Absolutely. Yeah.